Uh, good evening, everyone. Are we doing all right? You may take your seats. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Wow. Wow. You know, there's a lot of things I could say right now. <laughs> uh, you know, when I'm 60, I want to be like Pastor Tark. <laughs> I might have to lose some weight, lose some hair, and just do a few other things, but if I can be anything like him, it's uh, man, thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, you know, all those meals you sent to me growing up as a child, that's who I am, you know. I've, I've expanded and extended. It really is an honor to be here, and uh, it's not normal for the first time you're at a church on a weekend to make, have this much fun uh, with the senior pastor and pa Pastor Adrian Sam and Jody and all the team have made me feel so welcome and it's just a real joy and honor to be here. How many of you, this is the first time this weekend uh, you're, you, you've heard me? I just need to know how much of an intro I need to do. Just give us a, this is the first time. It's okay, you're not going to be punished. We're not taking attendance and if this is your first time, be proud of it. At least you're here. Who's here? This is your first time this weekend. Okay, cool. Well, very, very quickly, um, I'm Indian origin, as my father, similar. Uh, born in Singapore, raised in Malaysia, Australian citizen. We married a Kiwi, uh, which is cool. You guys meant to cheer at that point. Uh, she's a, she's a, a, a Kiwi, but she was raised in the Philippines and speaks with a very strong American accent. Uh, uh, her name is Jemima, and I actually have a picture of her just for the last time. I'm actually flying back tomorrow, so it's somewhere there. Now, I just need to clarify. The people go, well, why do you put yourself in the picture? Well, there's a reason. Some people just preachers, they just put this beautiful woman on screen. You've got no idea if that's really their wife. Just some model they got out of the magazine. I needed evidence that I'm actually connected to her. <laughs> so that's why, in case you're wondering. Uh, and uh, we managed to have two boys, and uh, Zeke and Caleb, and they're really cute, five and two. So that's our story. Kingdom City is, is blessed. It's amazing. But really, uh, it's just a joy to be a part of such a, an incredible church like this. And if, for what it's worth, I really do encourage you to come out to the prayer meeting this Thursday. Is it this Thursday? And um, I won't be coming to the prayer meeting. I won't be here. I won't be voting because I'm not New Zealander, but I'll be supporting both in spirit. So that's really cool. Well, tonight in the time I have, I want to share with you a little bit of my story. Probably it's a bit of a life verse for me. Uh, and it's, if you need a scripture so you don't call me heretic or whatever, uh, Philippians chapter 3 is a good place to turn. Philippians chapter 3 and... I'll just read to you three verses that the Apostle Paul writes, and uh, then we'll see where we go. And he says this, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal. Everyone say goal. For the prize. Everyone say prize. Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Let's just pray. Father, 
Just have your way in this place tonight. Father, your presence is so real, it's so amazing, it's so beautiful, and every single person that has taken time out of their schedule to gather tonight here, Father, we're limited, but you're unlimited. And Father, we pray that you would pour more of yourself, whatever that looks like, so that every heart leaves challenged, changed, touched, realigned, and better off for spending this time in the house of the Lord. I thank you that it is true that one day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere. I also thank you for the truth that your word is living, it's active, it's powerful. I declare that every heart here this evening is good soil, and Lord, what goes in would not just uh, entertain or would not just inform, but it would transform, it would actually bring fruit that would bear into the weeks, months, and even years ahead. We declare that that which is eternal will have eternal impact. We pray right now over this congregation that no weapon formed against them would prosper and every tongue that seeks to attack it would fall itself and we declare favor and peace over this house on every front, north, south, east and west and we declare that the greatest days are still ahead. We thank you for tonight. Have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I used to drive a Hyundai Excel, uh, which, do you have that here? Okay, there was nothing ex uh, excelling about the car that I drove. It was many years old. As a lawyer, I, there was a bit of peer pressure to upgrade the car, but that little hatchback served me well. And what, however, used to be a bit of a concern is every so often it would veer off and I didn't understand why this Hyundai Excel had a mind of its own, but the, the, the answer was to actually take it in for servicing. So I'd take it in for servicing, and the guy would do a tune-up, and then, you know, it, when I put it on the road, it would drive straight. But give it four months, five months, it would slowly start to veer off again. And guess what? I had to take it in and get it retuned. It's called wheel alignment for those of us that aren't really worried about all of this stuff. And, you know, I feel like this passage is a bit like a wheel alignment for me. It may well become a passage that is, becomes wheel alignment for you, but what it is, is it's for people who are heading in the right direction anyway. You might be here tonight, you don't know God, you've got some concept of Him, maybe you've got some concept of religion, this is not what you expected, hang in there for the ride. But for those of you that know God to some degree, or at least have some sort of faith, and you believe you're on the right track, how many know that sometimes it's important that we stay on the right, not just head in the right direction, but we stay aligned? Because one degree, 25 years down the track is a long way off. I don't believe the will of God is some sort of tightrope that should make you nervous to breathe, but I do believe that every now and then it's good to get our hearts realigned. And contrary to the popular view that it's only the young people that need alignment, well, let me just say this. The older the car, the more regularly I need to take it for alignment. I'm stopping the analogy right there. Because sometimes you've been in church so long, you've been in ministry so long, and you don't realize that, that we're all on the same track. And, and Paul here, towards the end of his life, he's saying this, not that I've attained, I, I stretch forth, I press forth, forgetting those things that are behind, all of that. And this is what he says. He goes, I press toward the goal for the prize. Now, how many know that in, um, you know, I mean, I know uh, the, the All Blacks are probably the greatest sporting team in the history of the universe. This is not even worth debating that, even if you're not a Kiwi. It's just not worth debating. They're just incredible. Uh, and 
but you know, whether it's football or rugby or whatever you play, when the guy is kicking for the goal, even if the Bledisloe Cup is hanging over there, which they should just permanently keep it in New Zealand, I don't see why they ever move it. This is good, isn't it? How I'm, I'm making. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine if the kicker kicking for the goal to win the Bledisloe Cup turns halfway and kicks the ball towards the cup? It would be stupid. We would laugh at him. Why? He wants the cup, but to get the prize, you've got to kick the goal. You would aim for the goal because if you get the goal, you win the prize. If you imagine Usain Bolt, who earlier this year won his first Commonwealth gold medal, and the only reason it was this year is because he never bothered to run before because it was too low for him. But he, he, he's the fastest man in history, and he runs. You imagine if him anchoring the relay race, as he's running the final leg, he sees the dice, and as he's head about to head for the line, he just sort of sort of stops and goes and stands on the dice. We would laugh at him. We'd think he's insane because he wants to stand here eventually, but you have to hit the goal to win the prize. It's ludicrous to go after the prize, even though that's ultimately what you want, but to get the prize, you've got to hit the goal. Now, that's obvious in sport. It's less obvious in life. In life, very often the goal and the prizes are very confused. In faith, Paul says, I set myself on the goal knowing that if I hit the goal, I win the prize. And, and what is the goal? In the whole book of Philippians, in fact, chapter 3, he talks about knowing God with such a passion that it begins to melt your heart if you would ponder on it long enough. He talks about everything that I've gained, I count as loss, just for the excellence of knowing him, to know his sufferings, to know the power of his resurrection, excellence of knowing God. He talks about an intimacy. You might not you might freak out at this concept, but you can know God. You know, I grew up in a church where my parents were Christian, but we, we grew up in one of those churches where you'd get smacked for smiling. It's funny now. It wasn't funny then. It was like the Old Testament version where there was smoke, incense, you're not allowed to do it. Was just, it was a whole other level. Now, sincere people in the church, I believe that, but... They had a concept of the sovereignty, the severity, and the awesome creative power of God, but he was distant. Then when I came to Australia, when I finally moved there, I, heard, I went to this church that didn't look like a church because it didn't have a cross on it. It was like a badminton court, and I thought, how unholy is this place? And, and, and really, then, but the pastor started to talk about God in a strange way, like he knew him. I mean, you know God, please give me a break. He's God. You can't know him. And, you know, the verses that I began to, I actually began to read the Bible. And it talked about how Noah talked with God and, and Enoch walked with God and God spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. And it would fascinate me because all of a sudden the potential that this could be real for me became alive. I'd always known him as powerful and distant. I never knew him as intimate and involved. The fact that he would count the hairs on my head, for some of us that's not hard. For me that's very difficult. I've got a lot of hair. But the point is he cared. He cared enough to know. And I was drawn into the reality that there could be a God you could know. And that's what Paul's saying, even in the middle of all the ministry, even the fact that he's the Hebrew of Hebrews, he was circumcised on the eighth day. I don't know why that's a big deal. He was a Benjamite. He was all of this stuff. And he's saying, I count it all as trash compared to the knowledge of knowing him. Intimate communion, walking with God. And you could see, even though the guy had been to the third heaven or the second heaven or whatever heaven, he was so... 
realigning his heart, and he was saying, listen, I'm going to make sure I hit the goal. Because quite often in faith, quite often in life, we could easily start chasing the prizes of life. But the prizes of life come when you hit the goal of life. What's the goal of life? To know Christ. What's the goal of your life? To know Christ. Yeah, but I want to be a billionaire. But that's not, that's the prize. The goal is to know Christ. Yeah, but I want to have a great family. That's a prize. The goal is to know Christ. There is one goal and one goal alone. He created all of humanity for a relationship. We look for it in people. We look for it in all sorts of things. But there's one goal. And this is a great realignment for all of us periodically. The goal is to know him. And if I hit the goal, I'll win some prizes. But the problem is every now and then, like my Hyundai, we set out wanting to hit the goal. And then we just start slowly chasing the prizes. And then we have to get a bit of realignment. Then we're back on focus hitting the goal. And then we, just, we start chasing the prizes. And then, whoa, back. And my Hyundai lasted longer than it should have lasted because it had constant realignment. And that's what this passage has historically done for me. And so tonight, in the short time we have, I want to share with you very quickly three prizes in life that have tended to grab my attention. It might not have grabbed yours, but I would hazard a guess that it probably has. And whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're a businessman, whether you're in ministry, whether you're retired, whether you're a housewife, whatever your role, stage, season in life, one thing I know, this should be our, all our goal to know him. That is the goal of life, to make sure I'm on track and I'm going after it. And all the prizes, bless God, praise God, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things will be added. Let me quickly talk about three prizes for me. Prize number one. Now, I need to warn you, these prizes aren't bad. The prizes I'm about to talk to you tonight aren't evil. They're not things to be despised, and they're not things to be spat on. They're actually good things. I believe they're actually God things. But they're prizes. They're not the goal. Prize number one, recognition. I believe every Christian deserves to be celebrated, acknowledged, not just tolerated. I do believe in the heart of every human being is a desire to be recognized, and I don't think that's wrong. I think that's right, because Jesus said we are to be salt of the earth, light of the world. A city on a hill shouldn't be hidden. We should celebrate Christians in government. We should celebrate the great sports in the media and all the people that have... I don't think that's wrong. We should not have tall poppy syndrome in our country that tries to cut people down when they get too big, because God made us to be the head and not the tail. If someone gets recognized, bless them, bless them, bless them. Don't pull them, pull them, pull them. Acknowledge that and say, wow, God, look at what you've done. Every now and then I'll see some something amazing in life. It might not be in church. And I'll go, God, you're amazing. Look what you've done. Look how amazing that person is. You know, Olympics, you see people do diving and they contort their bodies in seven different ways before they hit the water. I'm like, how do they do that? That's amazing, God. You made people to do that. That is amazing. Let's, let's celebrate one another. Let's acknowledge one another. Recognition is not bad. It's good. It's a healthy thing. It's better that we celebrate one another than we don't. However, recognition is not the goal of life. It's a prize. It'll come and it'll go. Jesus had heaps of recognition. Walking through where he ministered for three and a half years, the crowds flocked to him. Before there was Twitter, he had more followers. 
And there was such a throng about God. He was so recognized, Jesus, everywhere he walked, he was super recognized. You talk about a man who had recognition, Jesus had recognition in his day. He's still today probably the most polarizing figure in human history. That's recognition. But recognition was never the goal of his life. The goal of his life was never recognition. How do we know that? Well, because if recognition was the goal, when they tried to make him king, he would have said, finally. Good job, guys. You finally got who I am. Or he, wouldn't have, he would have come off the cross. If recognition was really the goal, he wouldn't have walked away through the crowds. He would have gone, guys, here I am, the great I am. I mean, I really am. I am. He would have, he would have lapped it up. But recognition sometimes is easy come, easy go. And if you make it the goal of your life, you will be devastated in seasons of your life. Easy to do in ministry as well. It's easy to do in life. The things that we get our identity from are scary these days. I remember, slightly embarrassing story, but I'm going to have to tell you anyway. I used to be a keyboard player. And about probably 15 years ago, I was part of a significant church that we used to do a big end-of-year concert in, 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 in a park. It's about, we call it Carols by Candlelight kind of thing. Do you guys have that here, sort of? That and, 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 you know, thousands of people. I was still working as a lawyer full-time, but the worship pastor was not in ministry for a season, and I was asked to lead the whole thing. So as a lay volunteer, worked as a lawyer, full day, come three nights a week from about August to November or December, Rehearsals, teaching the bass player his part, teaching the trumpet player his part, teaching all the harmonies, doing all of that, coordinating the whole deal. Loved it because I love God, love serving him. It was exciting and we were all really excited about the day. On the day, thousands of people gathered. It's huge. It's amazing. It's packed. And you know, the choir's dressed and everyone's ready. The fireworks went off. The people sang the carols. It was amazing. And I cheered the team. The team cheered themselves. It was just like this, wow, guys, we did it. Thousands of people loved it. And, and it was all going so good. Until the associate pastor took the mic and he decided to do like a vote of thanks. He gets the mic and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you enjoyed the music? And everyone cheered. How many of you enjoyed the choir? Everyone cheered. Who enjoyed the fireworks? Everyone cheered. And they said, all of this, look, we, need, we, we can't thank everybody, but we do need to thank one guy. Now, the part of the story I haven't told you is... The week before this event, the worship pastor, the, the senior pastor said, look, I, I want him to actually uh, MC the event and lead it again. So in a week, I got him up to speed with four months of rehearsals, the order, how we're doing it, all the details. And he was like, great. And he did an excellent job on the night. He did an awesome job. But then the associate pastor goes, all of this wouldn't be possible if not for the work, hard work, especially of one man who did a lot, lot of hours, a lot of hours from August to November. Now at that point, I put on my humble look. And all the choirs like turn into me going, you're the man, you're the man. And he start, and he start, does this little build up and I'm like, oh, guys, it's very <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for, and then he says the wrong guy. He said the worship pastor who had done nothing. I mean, I'm over now, but he did nothing. For four months, he did nothing. And now, you go, 
So, well, look, I didn't need him to do a vote of thanks. I was fine if nobody got thanked. But now 5,000 people are cheering for the wrong guy. I'm going, that is wrong. But, you know, you can't look upset because then people think you got pride. So I just clapped. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, good on you. Loser did nothing. Anyway. And, the, you know, he's embarrassed. He's like, well, I did nothing. And, you know, the choir's like, whatever. But thousands of people thought it was him. For about a week, I sulked. Then the Lord, as he tends to, goes, you done? And I, you know what my reaction showed me? See, all along, all of us, well, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this for God. But my reaction showed me somewhere along the journey, recognition went from being a prize that comes in ministry to somehow, if, if, it, was, if it wasn't my goal, I shouldn't have had that reaction. Why did it bother me so much? Why does it bother you when, when only the certain leaders or certain pastors, because we all say we're doing it for the Lord, recognition will come, recognition will go, but every now and then it's good to realign that heart. That, that experience was a realigning experience for me to go, you know what? Stay on track, buddy. The goal is that I know him. Recognition will come in some seasons. It'll go in other seasons. Sometimes you'll get acknowledged. Sometimes you'll get ignored, but that is a prize of life. And I, what happened that, that day it was a realignment. It's like, uh, that's it. I started out wanting to do this. Somewhere along the line, it started to drift. And I said, thank you, God. Prize number two, results. This is a big deal. Recognition is prize number one. Results is prize number two. Might I remind you from the outset, our God is a God who demands fruitfulness. He goes up to the tree that has no fruit and curses it. He's a God who tells the story of the talents, and it's not a good one if, you got the, if you're the one talent guy who did nothing. He demands multiplication, growth, increase, fruitfulness. Why? He's a God who increases. There's nothing wrong. In fact, he's a God who wants that to happen. Jesus' life was full of results. In fact, the book says that if all of the things he did were written, the libraries of the world can't contain what he did. That's a result-filled ministry. There was some serious evidence of growth, fruit, and all the things we want. And in life, it's not hard. God, I'll follow you. Thank you for knowing you. Now bless me. Bless my business. Bless my family. Bless everything. Those are wonderful, but they're the prizes of life. They're not the goal of life. Results are wonderful. Results are ordained. Does God want you to prosper? Yes. Does he want you to increase? Yes but it's not the goal of life. See, there are people here tonight, you're discouraged because things aren't working out as you thought. I want to encourage you to do whatever you got to do, but remember, if you know him, you're on track. If you know him, you're on track. There's no reason to beat yourself up like you've missed the goal. The prize might be barren right now, but stay on track because seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added. See, for me, a few years on after that keyboard incident, I'd matured a bit. I was now uh, sort of working for a staff in a church in Perth, and I was like one of the associates. I was probably the third preacher, if you could use a term. And, uh, but my senior pastor was trying to encourage me one day. He said, Mark, it's amazing. You know, when you preach, people get saved. It's just like people always respond to God. It's just amazing. More, I mean, when we preach, it's good. But when you preach, and, you know, he was trying to encourage me. And again, a humble look. Laughter 
I don't know if it went to my head. I can't remember. But what happened was, strange thing happened. Now, if, you, if, you, if you're here tonight and you don't know God, you're going to get an opportunity in the service. Hundreds, thousands of people do this every week around the world. It is the most incredible thing you can do. And as a preacher, one of the privileges you get to do is to preach the word and give people an invitation to know God. Now, so my senior pastor was just encouraging me, saying, listen, when you tend to preach, people tend to respond to God. And sometimes people respond, sometimes they don't, but that's not the point. He was just trying to encourage me. Strange thing happened. The next time I preached, nobody responded to God. It's like, that's not good. Oh, well, Billy Graham had a bad day every now and then. Don't beat yourself up too hard. I'm sure. He probably never had a bad day, but just I was trying to comfort myself. The next time I preached, strange thing. No one got saved. Twice in a row. I mean, come on. That's twice in a row to the guy that is the man. (laughs) The third time I preached, after that, no one got saved. Now I think my pastor's cursed me. (laughs) He's put a hex on me. I don't know, I don't even know what they believed all that stuff, but I was like, that's strange. I thought, ah, I know, prayer and fasting. So the fourth time I was ever to preach after that, I started praying, I started fasting, I envisioned the service, I did every spiritual discipline I knew how. I, this is probably about 10 years ago now, five years on after the keyboard incident. I get up to preach that night, I'm ready. Hell is ready, heaven is ready, the musicians are ready. I don't think I had any theology that night. I didn't want any theology to get in the way of a good altar call. It was just going to be this powerful gospel message and people were going to fly. As far as I was concerned. Now, you know what? If you give your life to God, it is the most powerful thing in your life. But as a preacher, instead of me starting to celebrate with the fact that someone's life got turned around, it started to become about how many people would get saved when Mark preaches. And this whole message was set up in my immaturity in God's grace. Now, I I had everything ready, but this time it was going to be different because I prayed and fasted. And so we shut everyone's... We did the whole... You know, you're going to get that opportunity tonight, but but it'll be real because it'll come from a man of God, not a guy that's trying to make his way in ministry. And I said, who wants to get... Nobody put their hand up. I said, no, church, you're not hearing me hearing me. Some of you have had thoughts this week and you're slightly off. Who's that? Put your hand up. Not even a pinky, nothing. Zero. I tried everything I could and I gave the mic back to the pastor and we're singing some closing song and I'm pretending to be worshipping. But I'm really quarreling with God saying, what kind of crazy, listen, I've lost it. I've lost ministry. That's it. Time to go back to law. Time to do something else. I clearly have lost the anointing. As I'm whinging and complaining, saying, God, I fasted and prayed, you didn't, la, 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 I heard his voice, and it cut across all my complaining. Until the day I die, I'll never forget what he said. And only God could do this. He said, son, if nobody were to ever get saved again under your ministry, would you still serve me? And instantly, it disarmed me, and I just started weeping and cried. And for about 30 seconds, I thought, that must be a trick question, because surely God wants people saved. But... He wasn't talking about his desire for people saved. He's willing that none should perish. He wants everyone saved. He was addressing the motive of my heart, 
Were you in this for the results or were you in this to know me? Were you in this because you love me and you just want to worship me with your entire life? Or were you in this to become famous? Were you in this so that you had results? And for me, it might be souls. For you, it might be dollars. For you, it might be something else. But what are the results that have suddenly, instead of being a prize in life, have suddenly become a goal in life? That's why I believe Matthew 7, 21 is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. He said, not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And they'll say, but hang on, but, but, but Lord, didn't we not? And they list it off. Cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, blah, blah, blah. It's impressive. And what's the response Jesus is going to give them on that day? But I don't know you. They're listing a bunch of prizes. Results. But Lord, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Look at what I got. I got an A in deliverance, A in healing, B in salvation, C. And what's he going to say? Wonderful prizes. You missed the goal. I don't know you. I don't know you. I set out like my Hyundai on the right path. But somewhere along the line, results got a hold of my heart. And I started going after it to the point where now I stand before him and say, Lord, I did all these. And he goes, yeah, but I lost you. He wants to know you. The greatest joy you can have. And I want to tell you that when you know God, he will anoint you. He will touch you. He will bless you. There will be results. There will be recognition. Those things will come. But they are never to be the goal of your life. Wheel alignment. Thank you, Lord. Third prize for me, relationships. You know, what's interesting tonight, I'm talking about recognition, results, and relationships. The three prizes aren't, my three points aren't lust, greed, and hate. Isn't rebellion and all these horrible things. You know why? You might be stuck in some of that, and your car might be going in the wrong direction. Tonight, you get the chance to do a U-turn because God loves you and he wants to know you. But I'm also talking to believers who you say, well, I'm heading in the right direction. My high you know, I was always heading in the right direction. It's not an issue of direction. It was an issue of alignment. It was an issue of alignment. And, and, and relationships, it's God who said it's not good for man to be alone. Some of the most precious and treasured things in my life are my relationships. That's why I put up a picture of my wife and my boys. And, and, and now you've heard secretly my dad is Takbana. And, you, you know, that will make Jody my sister and Sam my brother-in-law and Adrian my mum, sort of, I think. I'm not sure. But I love relationships. One of the most valuable things we have is friends in life, not friends on Facebook. And relationships are so vital, they're so precious, and it's God. You know, I preach hard against isolation because I know what that does. We're the body of Christ. We're to be connected. We're to be members of a body. You might not know every member in the body, but you've got to know somebody because everybody has the desire to be connected, and we should be. Relationships are from God. They're a gift. It's absolutely essential we're not on our own. We're not alone. Join a connect group. Join whatever the groups that, you know, Dad here has in this church. Join one of them. Be a part of the family, not just part of the crowd. Don't just be detached. Don't just be a service attendant. Be a part of the core. I love relationships. I believe in it. It's important that we have them. It's so imperative. But can I say this? Relationships are a prize that come in life. It's not the goal of life. Some people, you think it's become the goal of life because they measure their sense of identity by the number of Facebook friends they have. Or how many parties they're invited to. Relationships are wonderful. They're, they're good. They're from God. But you know, Jesus had a lot of friends, a lot of relationships. You think about it. 
If Jesus was driven by recognition or results or even relationships, he wouldn't have preached what I call the Dracula message. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Not a popular message. In fact, he lost all his recognition. He lost a lot of results, how to shrink a church in one sermon. And he even looked at his disciples and said, you guys want to go as well? Why? Even though results, recognition, and, re and relationships are powerful and they're from God, they're not the goal of life. Why would he have preached the Dracula message? Tell me. Sorry, that's very irreverent. Shouldn't call it Dracula, but you know what I mean. He didn't even bother to clarify. Listen, guys, it's an analogy. It's an analogy. It's a metaphor. You don't really, you just said, oh, you don't like that? You read John 6. It's pretty brutal. He doesn't go, it's a parable. He didn't even say that. Because he recognized that people were starting to go after all these other things. When I went to plant the church in KL eight and a half years ago, all my friends were in Perth. You know, people my, in my family were like, you're mad. What on earth are you doing? Seriously. We worked so hard to get you out of Malaysia. Now you're going back. Because I went from Perth to Malaysia. And we worked so hard to give you an education. Now you're going to throw law away. And be a what? Preacher. I said, yeah, but my father's a preacher. <laughs> I only do what my father does and I see what my... Okay, all right. But, but the, 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 the hassle I got, and you know what? It, it, it was a hard decision because I had an encounter with God that changed my life. After law, I went into ministry for three years. It was pretty sad, really, because, you know, it was probably the worst three years of my life. And on the verge of quitting, I had an encounter with God that changed everything. Out of that encounter, I knew I was called to plant a church and God was going to do something from there. I had no idea what. But I bought a one-way ticket to an, an Islamic country, sold my house without a visa, and went. That's called foolishness, unless you've heard from God. But I'd heard from God. Everyone's saying, you're crazy. You don't know anybody. Blah, blah, blah. But you know what? The goal is to know him. And if he's there, I'm there. If he said yes, I said yes. If he said left, I go left. If he said right, I go right. All of a sudden, it became clear to me the purpose I was alive. I was half backslidden in ministry. That encounter with God changed everything. And it began the most exciting and exhilarating eight and a half years of my life. At my 30th party, I was single, slim, depressed, and certainly not looking forward to life. And if you told me at, my, at your 40th, which is next April, on the 22nd of April, my, just remember that. <laughs> Email markv at kingdomcity.com for the birthday greetings. If you told me at my, on your 40th birthday you'll have an incredible wife, two kids, you'll be leading a church in four cities or whatever with 6,000 people, I'd say, you're mad. You're nuts. But something changed because you know what one night and I'll close with this I had probably something that I don't wish on anybody I was fast asleep I was probably around my 30th birthday and I was going through a tough time and I went to sleep one night and in I had this dream and I don't really have too many dreams and I told you about a, a prophet that had a dream this morning but this was my story and it was pretty full-on in my dream, I heard a knock on the door. So I go open the door in my dream, and I can see it's a demonic presence. It's, it's scary. It's like, 
whoa, what on earth is this? And this thing starts to make its way into my house. Mentally, in my dream, I'm going, shut the door, Mark, shut the door. I'm trying, but it's like I've got no muscles. I don't know if you had a dream and you've got no muscles. This thing is just flings the door like I'm not there, and it's coming in, and I'm getting more and more frightened in my dream. I'm so frightened that I wake up because it was so real. And as soon as I wake up, I realize it's not a dream. This presence is now in my room. It's about two in the morning. I can't even physically get up. I've never had this experience before or after. This thing is choking the life out of me, and I'm sort of trying to speak in tongues or English or something just to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I, I've never had anything like this happen, and I'm going, this is real. I'm pinching myself because this thing's here. I'm now sweating drops of sweat and it was really scary and so I eventually after about 10 minutes this thing lifts I can feel the peace of God I turn the light on I put some worship on in fact now's a good time for the keyboarders to come up I'll feel a bit better because I'm reliving it I, I turned the light on I'm like God what on earth yeah that wasn't a joke I'm serious thanks Willie <laughs> come or I'll tell dad <laughs> and I turned the light on I'm like God you gotta speak to me what on earth earth was that I've never I wanted to see angels not demons I want to see God not the devil I'm like God what on earth was that and God began to speak to me out of the book of Ezekiel the way he says in that day I will give them one heart the word one is not the word single one it's the word undivided because what had happened because I had asked the Lord Lord why in my dream could I not shut the door it's like I was helpless I should have all authority. All authority has been given to me. I couldn't shut that door. This thing could walk in like I wasn't there. And God began to speak to me about the power of an undivided heart. He said, whenever you give your heart to someone or your heart to something, it's like giving them the key to the door of your life. And they can come in any time they want, and you can do nothing about it. That's why people die of a broken heart, because you gave your heart to someone, and you give them thereby the right to break that heart. When you give your heart to a goal or a dream, you give that thing power. You empower it to break your heart. And that's why all of a sudden... Uh, realized why God said in his word love the Lord your God with with all of your heart not part of your heart and I thought oh my gosh what? but God I'm a Christian I've given you my heart what do you mean give you love you my I love you with my but I didn't realize I had given my heart to other things you go but is it, see that night all I can tell you is I felt the jealousy of God like I have never felt it in my life and when God is jealous, it's not because he's insecure. I was unaware of his possessive love for me. And here I am, 30, single, naive, depressed, confused. And God begins to speak to me and says, son, one day you'll have a wife. She won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you'll have sons. They won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you'll have a church. It won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. One day you'll have nations. They won't have your heart. I'll have your heart. And he began to speak into my future. And I'm God, God, I got none of this. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have church. I don't have nothing. But even back then, God was saying, see, because I had in that season started to give my heart to different goals, different dreams, different people. And it's like in that moment of encounter from about two to four, I'm like, God, and I, on my knees, I'm like, God, I take my heart back from that person. I held my dreams. I gave them everything. And it, see, God wasn't saying don't love, don't commit in relationships. 
Because I realized that day, the greatest way I can love my wife is to give God my whole heart. Because I can love her so much better when he has my whole heart. The greatest thing I can do for my sons is give God my whole heart. Because when he has my whole heart, I can love them like I can never love them if my heart is fragmented. The greatest thing I can do for my church is be a pastor that loves God with all of my heart. Because when he has all of my heart, that's the best that my church will ever get me. And it, it became clear to me, like, wow, God, you're not saying don't commit, don't love. I'd given my heart to recognition. I'd given my heart to results. I'd given my heart even to relationships. And that night, because I was so scared because of what happened, I took the keys back and I said, God, for the next 30 days, you know that old song, Lord, I give you my heart. I sang that every night before I went to bed. Because <laughs> I did not want another one of the I'm like, not taking the chance. Get on my knee. This is my desire. Sang it in about two keys, did everything. I sang it right through. Everything belongs to you, God. I'm a Christian. But I think that encounter was God showing me, son, you might have this and that and this and that, but just remember, it was like my Hyundai getting a wheel alignment saying, hey, stay focused on the goal. You might be 50, you might be 60, you might be 70, you might be 80. All of us need realignments occasionally. All of us need how even Paul said, you know what? I list my achievements. I count it as trash compared to the joy of knowing Christ. I want to know him. And that is my magnificent obsession. God, to know you and to know you more. Have I lived it perfectly the last decade? No. But it's like my Hyundai, every now and then I get it serviced. I just go back and say, Father, I've started to veer that way even in ministry. I veer that way in marriage. I veer that way with my kids. I veer that way with money. I veer that way with ambition. I veer that way. I was on the right track. I mean, the three points are not lust, adultery, and rebellion. I'm on the right track, but God, just, just get my heart. Because one day I'm going to stand before you. And if I've got all the prizes, praise God. If I've all got all the I want to be known in heaven, not on earth. I want to be known in hell, not on earth. Maybe next time I can share with you more stories about other things that God has done, but this has been one thing that's constantly just been, God, I just, I just want to know you. My joy is in knowing you. My joy is not in anything or anyone else. Oh, I love my wife amazingly. I love my boys. I can't even explain how much I love my boys. I can't tell you how much I love God and the church and everything else, but my goal is one thing. And it should be your goal to know Christ. To know Christ. I mean to know him. To know him. To talk with him. To walk with him. To hear his voice. To encounter him. The next 28 days, 30 days after that, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. And you know what? Something would happen and I'd start to start to turn my heart. Into something. And every now and then I'd have to just get back on. You know, I wonder if we just close our eyes. Just bow our heads. I just want us to pray right now. In fact... I'm going to hand over to Pastor Tark in a moment, but before I do that, I, I know that this word has, for some of you, is just listening to a guy's story. For others of you, it's like, man, I needed that. Oh, God, I needed that. It's not because you're going down the wrong track. It's not because you're even going in the wrong direction. But, oh, God, I needed that wheel alignment. Help me to go after the goal for the prize. Forgetting all that is behind me, 
I press forward, Paul said, to the goal for the prize. Father, this evening, do a divine realignment over this house right now. Do a divine realignment over every single person here. And I thank you, Lord, that there's truly your presence that is able to tweak, to turn. Lord, for some of us who need more of a realignment, just do it in this moment. In fact, I'm going to ask us, the worship team to come and join us. And I'm going to ask us all to stand to our feet. And as we stand, I know I said it as a, it's not really a joke, but I will, I don't know. Do you know that old song? Lord, I, Lord, I give you my heart. Do you know that song? I just think it'd be awesome if we sing it. I don't know. I haven't, poor musos, I haven't given them any notice. Yeah, G's a good chord. Don't make me go back to my carols days. I'll teach you the harmonies. But you know, church, God is not to, you, you don't have to, you don't have to live in some sort of terror of God. He's a good God. He's a wonderful God. But I want to tell you, he's jealous for you. He is jealous for you. And all of a sudden, I recognize God for all the favor, for all the recognition, for all the results, for all the relationships. I thank you. I embrace them. But let it never be my goal. Let them just be the prizes of life. My goal is to know you. My goal is to know you.